From crypto winter to crypto geopolitics, from ChatGPT to AI avatars, from zero-proof identity to CBDCs and new forms of GovTech. Join inventors, artists, musicians, gamers, bankers, policymakers, and rebels for a discussion on how technology is reshaping our world. From our offices in Dubai, this is the UAE Tech Podcast. it's not just about building technology it's actually also about building those human relationships and i think at an age where you know um people are saying the next generation is not going to be gen z or gen a it's going to be gen ai so it's going to be so much about technology but i guess um for us it's a lot about human relationships too and about valuing those what if in the race to scale we've forgotten the bigger picture What if, despite all that moonshot thinking, we've forgotten about ordinary human beings? Paula Schwartz is half Greek and German, has spent time in China, Africa, the United States and elsewhere, and wants to create technology that helps people. In 2015, she had a coming-of-age moment when Syrian refugees washed up on the shores of her home island of Samos while she was spending time there with friends. This event has led her to experimenting with open source mobility solutions, logistical connection hubs, NFT art auctions, and much more. Talking to Paula, she seems a cautious proponent of technology as long as it serves a human purpose. She's also a critic of legacy institutions when it comes to impact and effectiveness. This is an unusual episode at the intersection of tech and human aspiration. It asks a simple question. What if instead of registering, cataloguing, and surveilling human beings, technology might be repurposed to helping them start their lives anew? Today we're talking with Paula Schwartz of Startup Boat. Paula, thanks so much for joining us on the UAE Tech Podcast. So, Let's jump right in. What is Startup Boat? And did you ever actually have a boat? How does it work? And what's the story? So thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to be here um, to speak about Startup Boat and the um, different projects that we support. So Startup Boat is an incubator that supports the development of different humanitarian projects and the specialty is actually that we try to bring people together who would otherwise never have met. So um, I come from a place where I really want to connect, um, you know, people who are of different mindsets, of different cultural backgrounds. And and since I'm half Greek and half German, I have that in my DNA to combine different um, nationalities with each other. And my kids have four passports. So um, Startup Boat is all about forming that international community. And the way that we used to do it is that we did meet on boats. So Startup Boat um, was developed at the border between Greece and Turkey when the Syrian refugee crisis hit. I had just finished uh, some work with the Startup Bus in Africa. I had won the Startup Bus and we had been traveling around Africa with different teams to build startups in Africa, which was amazing. And then I just, you know, went to my home island in Greece to chill out. And I had the head of Lufthansa um, with me, the um, managing director of McKinsey in Germany, 
some um, top tier people at Facebook. And we were honestly just like hanging out because I have lovely people around me. And then suddenly there were dead or dying people in the waters, right, from the Syrian refugee crisis. And then what we did was to um, say, okay, we need to definitely do something. We can't just hang out on boats and chill out while people are dying. And we formed groups on the boats. Um, we used design thinking processes. And we started to build prototypes for information platforms, for coordination platforms for aid, um, different things that we will talk about later. And then we realized that, you know, we had around 15 million users on different platforms. So it was super wild what was going on. And we set up a process behind that to um, incubate the project and to bring in more people who want to help and to match them to different projects. And so... Um, yeah, and as we went along, we just realized how important it is to actually curate people well and to bring them together with the right projects. And this is where technology can be super useful to lower the threshold of corporations between people who are, you know, of completely different backgrounds, life stories, and to help them work together better. And that's Startup Boat, essentially. Thanks for that introduction. Um, so obviously this is a technology podcast, but it's also a podcast based out of the Middle East. Um, our team have you know, worked across the Middle East and elsewhere as well, but we're also really familiar because of where we're based in the world with the refugee crisis and, and with some of the challenges of that, perhaps in a way that someone right. in Silicon Valley or London you know, might not be um, just because they haven't been as close or as exposed to it. Um, so I think, you know, I want to do something a little bit different uh, with the beginnings of this episode before we get to the technology, which is talk a little bit about, you know, the issues, your experience, a little bit about this world, which might be a little bit outside um, some of what the business community and the tech community that usually listen to us are aware of. And hopefully towards the end of, of the episode today, we'll be able to kind of draw these two things together. But to begin with, you know, I want to ask you a little bit for background about, you know, what was happening in, in Samos mm -hmm. in Greece? What, what you know, period was this exactly? Um, and mm -hmm. how did you start thinking about, you know, you've got this humanitarian crisis. Why did you start thinking about, hey, maybe we can do, these are the challenges. Maybe these are challenges that can be addressed with technology. So, so basically, mm -hmm. can you give us some background on the human side of it and where the technology side started to come in? Mm -hmm. So um, on, on the Greek islands, there, are, um, there were 4 million people coming from Syria towards wow. Europe in 2015. Mm. So, um, and we have 1,800 islands in Greece. But around six of them were super heavily affected by the four million people who were coming. And so, um, as you can imagine, that was a very large number. Um, Greece is super dependent on tourism normally. And um, we had just gone, like we, the, the Greek people, since I'm Greek, we had just gone through an economic crisis and the economy was completely down. And suddenly you also had dead people that were being washed um, on the shores, right? So it was very bad, the situation. And um, and the boats were also super important because we did actually have around 14 boats an hour come to the, um, to the borders um, of Greece, between Greece and Turkey. Um, so we were actually seeing the boats arrive. And as you know, there was bombing in Syria, very heavy bombing 
in 2015 and that caused a lot of people to actually leave by foot um, or pay some human traffickers around two to three thousand dollars sometimes more to get um, a fake passport and sometimes they would get that fake passport only in greece so they would track very much where they're where they're going um they were trying to hit the right islands <coughs> Sorry, but sometimes people would actually arrive in Greece and think that they are in Spain or something, you know. So it was also a very, very confusing situation for people who were arriving. And um, and obviously we were all very much in shock. We didn't know how to handle things in the beginning when you see people wrapped up in, in foil who just came out of the water, but they were in there for too long and they were about to die. And um, I guess that was an experience for the first people who I started to work with who are still working together with me after such a long time, since 2015, that just um, changed us forever, I would say. And, um, and when you see that, then uh, you realize that, you know, these people are trying to move such mountains and they really... Um, almost kill themselves to find safety, and then um, it's sort of um, it's sort of like the the most basic thing that one could do is to try and um, make the world a better place because um, we have that a little bit now with the ecological situation of the world where people are saying the world is burning. We were seeing people were dying, you know, and um, and that's why we began. Uh, what we began um, with startup boat and yeah um, from a from a human side it was beautiful to see people come together to see people cooperate to form friendships you know um, I'm so glad that many people are still friends today I love looking at the photos of the different trips so it's not just about building technology it's actually also about building those human relationships. And I think at an age where, you know, um, people are saying the next generation is not going to be Gen Z or Gen A, it's going to be Gen AI. So it's going to be so much about technology. But I guess um, for us, it's a lot about human relationships too and about valuing those and about um, seeing that 1% of the world has 99% of the resources and we have access to these people. So um, we, want to, we want to open their minds up a little bit, by, um, not by exposing them to this death that we saw um, and, and my team and the people that I've been working with together for so long, but maybe to open their minds a little bit more and to say, hey, um, we've, we've seen things that are, that are heavy um, and please don't look away, but please try and work with people as well as you can in order to, in order to improve the situation. And we try to make it cool as well. Um, so technology there is really important because, you know, some people are racist. Some people are... Um, judging others based on the tone of their voice or um, their last name. Um, and we try to be very careful with who we bring together with what project um, so as to, um, yeah, maybe, maybe form relationships that are for the long run um, sustainable, you know, where, um, where, 
people get to know each other slowly over working together. They hit certain goals together. They're excited about those goals. So it's a very um, venture capital approach that we have um, where a, a team starts to um, um, starts to form a project and the project is usually defined by data. So we have a very strong database. Um, we also use things like Wolfram Alpha, which is a um, um, data um, tool database um, that's online, right? Um, everyone can use it, but they're very good with supplying information in terms of what is happening around the world. And so we have those data sources, we look at them, and since we're very global right now, um, we use that data to decide if we want to engage in a, in a region, in a crisis region or not. And then we think about if we have a certain crew or an ecosystem on the ground that we can work with. Um, so normally people come up to us, they approach us and they say, hey, um, we want to build solutions. We want to do something in the region like Turkey or there was a there was a chemical disaster in Ohio right now that we're very active in, and then um, once the community comes up to us and we have a very clear understanding of the data and what is going on, then we can say, okay, this is a plan that we see is useful, is doable. Then we put that into the incubator. Um, then we bring the partners together into that incubation program, and then we hit it off. And then we can see, okay, we have the funding, we have the software engineers normally we try to work with very local people we try to work open source from a from a um, coding point of view and um, we try to have the buy-in of the local community um, also from a political point of view and then um, we just execute a very very clear plan and then we have um, things like user numbers partnerships um, you know test runs or um, closed deals um, or deliveries. So anything, depending on the project that you build, anything that could formulate that success. And then we use these very clear numbers to, um, to continue to grow the project or to terminate it. So that's, um, that's how we keep peace of mind. And um, yeah, per project, the the users who are involved, like the creators, they obviously have access to that incubation tool, but also investors um, who, you know, are, are partnering with that team that is um, building the project. And our investors are also considered users because we try to not see someone as an investor or as um, the, the head of the project, because many times people who run a project, they also invest into the project, right? So, um, yeah, we try not to work with those typical terms, um, but we mm. do see that uh, the money comes from, from individual people in our, in our community. Yeah, this is probably fascinating to, to some of the individuals listening, because on the one hand, you're using language that does come from the kind of tech ecosystem, the business community. And then on the other hand, you've got these, these very human stories about what was happening uh, at the advent and after the Syrian war, which is something that, and, you know, our team were were in and out of Amman uh, in Jordan at the time. Something mm -hmm. we're, we're mm -hmm. very, so we're, we're very aware of what was going on in that space. And we're also very aware well, of the role, you, you know, the UN and a lot of NGOs have been putting their heads together, thinking about how they can apply technology to some of these problems. Because also, because as you mentioned, a lot of these problems are cross-border, right? 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they're, 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 they're transnational and they need transnational solutions. Definitely. Um, so and wanna, and yeah. now we have things like Silicon Valley Bank collapsing, right? And mm. if you go to their website, you see that they're all about sustainability. And I think that it's in, uh, interesting that, first of all, that they're collapsing and that um, Silicon Valley still has such big uh, social and political problems like they have very um, high um, homelessness numbers and uh, they have things like terrible internet as well so the the social setup of Silicon Valley is not very um, not very fair I would say um, and so I think that's where the the light comes in that this is where the humanitarian aspect of things can provide a new perspective to look at venture capital and to say Silicon Valley Bank did a lot of great things and maybe it just needs to be altered, needs to be humanized, um, especially in the time of AI, to to look at the well-being of humans in crisis regions and how do we do that, how do we implement venture capital for that. Yeah, I mean, that's a really observant point and I think that's a point that could be a whole other series and you could probably get into some deep philosophy on the extent to which hypercapitalism is even survivable in in an age of powerful ai where you know you mm-hmm. can have such inhuman systems such inhuman mm-hmm. and very effective systems linked to kind of um, capitalism and neo-capitalism and you know crony capitalism and when you plug those into an, an ai the human being gets completely and utterly lost even more than is the case now and so you can have these massive disparities that you kind of hinted at and and that's a problem for the mm-hmm. whole world uh, the west and beyond and it's also creates kind of an, a system of international relations where you do have a, ma- mm-hmm. a massive crisis like syria and very few individual nation states can deal with it and, and you have to build new tools um and and with that in mind i wanted to talk about kind of some of the ideas that you did have because i think some some of these tools can can add some practical case studies to the things we're discussing for for some of the community that aren't completely aware of this space so can i just make one point yeah um, sure because because um, people are talking about AI so much, and I had some conversations yesterday with um, friends who were saying that there will be like I think robophiliacs they they call that like people <laughs> who will only be into robots in the future, <laughs> and they were they were questioning democracy because they were saying okay what if AI and robots like do they also have the right to vote then like do they have the right to a basic income. And so I think that it's really important to not forget humans on the way um, towards this amazing AI world and, you know, incredible robots. Like, what about those who are stuck in crisis regions and why is no one looking at that? And, um, yeah, that's why I think it's triple as important to raise awareness for what we're doing. It, It is a really interesting one. I mean, this is an aside, but I was talking to um, kind of a 25 year old member of the, the family about a month ago and it's a very odd little circumstance but i remember saying well why don't you give this person a call because she was kind of whatsapping them or instagramming them and they weren't replying and she was like oh you know i hate calling people like i get anxious mm-hmm. and i was like what you get anxious calling someone she was like yeah and i was like what are you talking about and she's like oh loads of my friends since covid we were like locked up for a year we didn't see anyone mm-hmm. and we're all playing on roblox and these other apps and you know like we don't we haven't actually seen anyone physically and and we never call we don't even call each other anymore and she's like calling someone's weird 
I just remember mm. thinking, wow, I thought I was socially inept. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Right. <laughs> and um, yeah. I just thought, whoa, you know, like, what is the, what is the, trajectory on this kind of stuff you know how yeah. is this is this gonna continue or is this gonna how's the bell curve looking on that one um so that right. uh, yeah your argument on kind of um you know um right. robotics kind and, of brought that home but i guess we'll see and that's that's exactly why we try to be something like a tinder for impact you know like um you come on to the platform, um, you express who you are, and then we try and match you with the best partner in order to actually have a strong impact. Um, so, yeah, um, that's... I think, I guess, connecting connecting the right people in this space is really important. Um, so let's go, maybe go through some of these case studies. <laughs> I know you guys have looked at solutions such as First Contact, Mahakar, mm -hmm and migration hub would you mind very quickly kind of giving us a quick summary on on each of those and, and what they do so these were um one of the first projects that we built um currently we're as i mentioned we just set up a company in dubai and in right. uh, florida um so there's a lot of new stuff but marhakar that you mentioned was a uber for refugees so normally um to ride an Uber, you need to to access a form of ID, right? So you need to sign up to the platform um, and have a payment system as well. And many people just don't have that. And so what we did on the Greek islands for the first time, and now we actually apply that to different crisis regions as well. So when we see that there is um, um, a difficulty in transportation for civilians in a crisis region, we start a project where people can sign up with their vehicles as drivers and they drive around people for free who don't have an identity, but we use a specific sort of KYC process um, in order to register the drivers, in order to register the riders. So we do everything very manually and we do around 200 rides a day, partially in different crisis regions with Marhakar. Marha is actually woohoo, like um, the, you know, um, party party phrase in Arabic. Um, so it started um, from from um, the Syrian refugee crisis. But as I mentioned, we're also implementing that in Turkey now. Um, and Uber was very supportive there. Um, there's different um, solutions on GitHub that are sort of Uber white label solutions uh, that you can use in order to first implement the project and then change it a little bit. So the, the um, source code was very um, cheap, basically for free, um, because we reached out to those partners who were building the white label solutions that are somewhat like Uber. And um, we told them what we were doing. And then they said that we could, you know, use their services for free because it was good promotion for them. So that's an example where um, we, based on what we're doing, we're allowed to cut the costs for the people who want to support because there are funders who support um, those people who are driving um, the project further. Um, and once that service is not needed anymore in a crisis region, then we terminate it um, because we say, okay, great, crisis is over. Um, doesn't mean that the project was for nothing, but um, this is also where we don't go for eternal growth. You know, we don't believe in like, crazy growth when it's not necessary anymore. We close something down and we might open it up again um, based on the architecture that we have. Then the migration hubs that you mentioned were um, or are 
shops and our um, locations where people come together to meet physically um, because as I said, we're like a Tinder for ref- for for um, impact and uh, for refugees, of course, as well, but for other people as well who want to get involved in social projects. So what we're doing is very much online. And um, we did find it extremely important after the first experiences that I mentioned, you know, with having these um, very, very physical experiences of meeting people and being at the border um, we wanted to create spaces where people can safely work together, meet each other, um, have meetings. And so the migration hubs are also something that was um, provided by partners. So um, most of the bills were carried by supporters who just loved seeing the numbers of people who were coming together. And we are in Germany now. We have one in the UK. We have one in Greece. Um and I would have to ask the team about their expansion because I think it's growing quite a lot. Um, but at least in Germany, we're in four four cities um, linked to some universities. And there we have Cisco Systems as a partner um, because they provide a tech architecture for us um, and they give tech courses also for networking. So to find out how a computer works and stuff. Um, and we have a sponsorship from Google and they match every donation that a Googler gives us. So we have a lot of um, private people. Some of them got fired now, as you know, like Google let go of 12,000 people. Um, but that's actually not so bad for us because um, because these are individuals who are now working with us, which is super nice. Um, and um, yeah, so that's the migration hub, people coming together offline, working together and first contact was the information platform that I mentioned that had 15 million users right in the beginning. And first contact was crazy because, uh, you know, the people who we were talking to, um, the the Syrians who were arriving, some of them thought that they were in Spain, but they actually landed in Greece. Mm -hmm. And so um, they wanted to know where the next refugee camp is, where the next... um, uh, location is where they could register or police um, police departments, um, healthcare facilities. And so um, it basically started with a Google Doc where we just put, a, put together everything, like the information. And um, yeah, it's an info platform for people who are arriving in a certain region. Um, we expanded that also to Ukraine. And... Um, and it's it's yeah it's a project that is still growing essentially um what's interesting is that there are direct flights now between the greek islands and poland warsaw so we have a lot of teams that come to the greek islands to learn about what we've built or what has happened in the refugee camps on the islands where we're active and then they fly from the greek islands directly to poland to go into ukraine um, flights cost around 20 euro and um, we're able in that way to transfer very much the, um, the know-how that we created in Greece, also in Ukraine. Um, so that's that's very cool. Um, we have different partners in Ukraine like Starlink with Elon Musk. Um, we built certain projects with them as well. Um, and that's just been really interesting to see how you can implement um, solutions that were created almost 10 years ago in a completely new context uh, without being wasteful, right? Because we don't believe in this eternal growth stuff, as I mentioned. 
So yeah. um, I mean, I guess it's great that there are open source solutions like with Mahakar and there are technology companies and programmers and individuals, be they ex Google or Starlink or, you know, the, 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 the Polish ecosystem, which is amazing, all ready to kind of chip in and, and help on these kind of projects. Um, and I suppose that is, that is an example of, you know, a kind of inspiring example from the tech ecosystem. And, you know, increasingly there aren't always so many of those. There's there's there's, there's uh, increasing a lot of negativity out there as well. So that is really good to hear. Um, and I think those three case studies that you just um, spoke about, they interconnect really nicely. And I think anyone listening to you explaining it will, will kind of get how those systems worked. Um, you did say something really interesting, um, which is, again, something that we're really aware of in the Middle East. You mentioned IDs and you mentioned KYC. Now, of course, you know, I think earlier we talked about passports and you mentioned how you could, Syrian refugees would sometimes get a passport on Greece or when they arrived. But there are a lot of um, refugees out there who are internally displaced or who have fled to another country and they're effectively stateless because they can't get their documents um, there are varying degrees of refugee as well who have access to banking services. So, you know, some will have very, very basic access. Uh, others will have good access. Others will just have to use cash. And these are, you know, big global problems. They're significant problems in parts of the Middle East, um, you know, Palestine, Libya, other countries. But I wondered the extent to which their problems, uh, you know, there were problems in Greece. And, you know, how have you got around problems with, you know, um, IDs and also kind of doing that KYC protocol stuff. Um, and that's maybe a segue into talking a little bit about your background in finance and, and business. But yeah, I wanted to, to specifically ask you about the ID issue and the KYC issue in terms of onboarding refugees when they get into a country so they can have banking services, so they can, you know, be part of the European system. Um. So crypto was obviously very interesting there um, to see how blockchain could be different. Um, I guess from a, from a registration point of view, um, I think you become very creative with a refugee crisis, right? So um, for us, it was seeing what was happening, um, that these people were arriving and no one was really helping them. Um, the police was completely um, overwhelmed with everything, uh, the government too. Um, and I have, um, I have sometimes tremendous disrespect for how political systems work, um, like that increased with Trump, of course. Um, but I do think that um, it's important to look at things like blockchain and crypto because they are able to show us a different form of identity storing as well and formation mm. of identity. Mm. So um, for us, the previous identity of a person was less important because if you arrive and you work with us um, then and you say you're an engineer, you need to be able to build shit. And if you cannot build shit, you're not an engineer. So, And that's just a relationship that builds up over time. That's why, like, um, yeah, that's why the relationships that we have are actually still um, for a very long time standing. And it's not really about 
the papers that you have. It's more about the abilities that you have and our entire process is built up that way. As I mentioned, it's about the goals that you put down into the online incubation program and you say, hey, I'm actually going to re reach this. So it's very forward-looking. Um, it thinks about the future and it doesn't think so much about your background and who you were because also... Um, Many people don't want to be who they used to be. You know, they say, hey, mm. I just escaped a war. I've never um, heard this I... argument. Yeah, that's it's a very, I've never actually mm. heard that argument. And I, I was quite involved in this space at one point. Really interesting way of putting it. Um, yeah, I also it's, quite it's... like the, the, the human verification and, you know, actually having a relationship and spending time and figuring out what someone's good at is also something that might be a little bit alien to the tech community. But yeah, that point on what's wrong with starting anew, Great point. Mm. Yeah, it makes total sense. And then we don't really look at the KYC process so much. Um, so we, um, yeah, I guess we we get to know the person. We have these offline meetups um, at the migration hubs. And, um, and it's more important, as I mentioned, uh, like what you want to build. And uh, if that fits into the programs that we have online, then like I don't... For the moment, I don't really care um, what situation the person is in. I don't get to judge the person or who they were or who they are in the conventional system. I care about the solutions that they're building. Um, yeah. And then and then we take it from there, essentially. Makes sense. Well, we're getting towards the end of our time today. There's a lot more things I wanted to discuss. But I guess to close, I wanted to talk a little bit about... You know, we've got all these case studies. We've we've got this um, the refugee crisis. What are the global challenges that you see happening over the next couple of years? Because you've been all over. You've worked in China. You've worked across Africa. You're um, familiar with the Middle East. You're familiar with the United States. Just in our conversation today, you've mentioned a different dozen countries that that you're involved in. So I think you're a really good person to to ask kind of. What are the kind of global trends or patterns or things that you see that you're interested in? And I guess the second part of that is I wanted to talk a little bit about the UAE and find out what you're up to here. Sure. Um, so maybe uh, maybe the UAE first. Um, mm. We we have a, a platform where we sell NFTs for refugees. Basically, that's uh, what the platform is called. Wow. Anyone. Uh, who goes on Google and puts in NFTs for refugees, they will find the platform. And there we have um, different artworks that are built with AI as well that are sold um, for the support of refugees. And this was something that we implemented as, a, as an auction in Dubai. So we have a company, a startup boat company, that supports different initiatives um, in Dubai and in the United Arab Emirates. Um, and one of them is those this NFTs for Refugees platform. And um, yeah, and we started to host events like this auction um, there. Yeah, the, the UAE is a very specific uh, territory, I would say, because in Dubai, you need permission to do anything. Um, so it's very, very interesting to work there because a lot of people come to Dubai to make a lot of money. But um, talking about refugees in uh, Qatar or Dubai or um, other mega cities, 
that are coming up is is a challenge still um but we want to get into that so um, we're trying to do that through art as i mentioned and uh, would love to partner with anyone who's interested in uh, supporting refugees through art or through other social initiatives maybe you have a project that you would want to start there let me know or go on startupboat.org um, again, my name is Paula Schwartz. You can look me up or startupboat.org. There is um, there's a form that you can fill out and then and then we match you to the right project or we hear what you want to build. And in terms of the um, global trends, I think that the intersection be between ecological disasters, obviously, and human suffering um, will will grow. Um, so there's earthquakes um, that are increasing, there's um, chemical spills that are happening, um, there's pollution that is making it um, impossible for people to work together. So I think that um, measuring, for example, levels of toxins is uh, something that is extremely important and enabling people to understand how to do that because it's actually really hard to measure toxins in your ecosystem or in yourself as well. So I think um, that's a sphere that we're getting into more and more and we have very prominent partners for that. So I'm extremely grateful. And at the moment I'm learning a lot, but I'm also seeing how important that is. Technology as both a solution, but also as something that is shifting elements of how the world collaborates and how the world solves problems. So with all the problems, there's also a kind of hint, a slight hint of change. We'll see a slight hint of promise. But Paula, thank you so much for joining us today on the UAE Tech Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you very, very much. It was great. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Albuaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Albuaba Business, syndication distribution on Albuaba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Albuaba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.